And we will read Isaiah 12 later. So we're turning now to John 4. If you're using the church Bible, it's page 1066, 1066. Page 1066, John chapter 4. And I want us to, to note how as Jesus sits by the well talking to this Samaritan woman, uh, he speaks to her about another well, the well of salvation. And that's what we're going to be thinking about this morning uh, in uh, our service from Isaiah chapter 12, the wells of salvation. So let's read John 4, page 1066, and we begin at verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water sir the woman said you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep where can you get this living water are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and herds Jesus answered everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water or a well of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Amen. We turn now to Psalm 100. month ago during our communion season uh, we looked together at Isaiah chapter 6 and we saw how Isaiah chapter 6 records Isaiah's own personal experience 
of salvation. Of how God came to him in the Christ. And how he encountered the Christ in the temple. Seeing him on the throne. Seated there high and lifted up. We saw the grace that flowed into this man's life. As he confessed his sin. And experienced cleansing. And then after that came a life changing call. Whom shall I send and who will go for me? Here I am, send me. And that grace then entailed a lifelong commission. This man Isaiah was to go and tell this people. He was to go and tell of this salvation. And he was to do that uh, until the seed uh, will be the stump in the land. And one of the things that I said when we were looking at Isaiah chapter 6 is that Isaiah's experience was to be typical for the people. In other words, he was a type or an example and the grace that he experienced from God in Christ as he was in the temple. Other people, his family, his friends, uh, those who went to church with him, those who lived close to them, they were also to experience salvation in that way. In the following chapters, chapter 7 uh, through to 11, Isaiah goes then to Judah, first of all, and then to Israel, and he preaches to them this salvation that he has experienced in the Christ. And now in chapter 12, uh, which is the chapter that we want to look at this morning, Isaiah brings together his experience of salvation and the experience of salvation in the community, in the church, in the nation. So we want to read Isaiah chapter 12 at this stage with that kind of background and we're turning to page 697 in the church Bible. Page 697 uh, uh, in the church Bible verses 1 and 2 describe Isaiah's own experience and then verses 3 to 6 the experience of salvation within the community. In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water. From the wells of salvation. In that day you will say. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations. What he has done. And proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord. For he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud. And sing for joy. People of Zion. For great 
is the Holy One of Israel among you. And we want to look at this chapter this morning uh, under this title, The Wells of Salvation. This phrase in verse 3, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And Isaiah has drawn with joy from the wells of salvation. And he anticipates um, others in the community drawing with joy from the wells of salvation. And there are four things that I want us to notice this morning about salvation as Isaiah um, speaks of it here in this chapter. This salvation that comes from God that is through the Christ. First of all, it is salvation that is personal. It is salvation that is personal. There are, if I have counted correctly, 61 words in Isaiah chapter 12 in the Hebrew. And it is striking how many of those words have personal pronouns attached to them. And the whole emphasis here on salvation in verses 1 and 2 is that it is personal. Personal. The wells of salvation in verse 3 become my salvation in verse 2. And this opening section is all about the personal pronouns. And by that I mean I and you. You and me. My, I and your. Those are personal pronouns. And so um, we want to think about these personal um, references or pronouns this morning. Let's look first of all. At I and you. Verse 1. I will give you thanks. And then you have you and me. Look at the next phrase. You were angry with me. Then the end of verse 1. You have comforted me. And then the, the um, word my is used four times. Look at verse 2. My salvation, my strength, my song, my salvation. And then there is a reference to your anger uh, also uh, in verse 1. So here's these words. I, you, me, my, I, your and they are emphasizing Isaiah's own experience back in chapter 6. This is his own personal testimony. It was Martin Luther, the great German reformer, who put it like this The heart of religion lies in its personal pronouns. The heart of religion lies in its personal pronouns. 
I. Um, I trust. I repent. Um, my Savior. My Lord. The Lord rescued me. The Lord delivered me. Those are all personal pronouns. And uh, if I can add to Martin Luther, I would say that not only is the heart of religion lies in its personal pronouns, I would say religion of the heart lies in its personal pronouns. If you and I have religion of the heart, if we have salvation in our hearts, not just salvation in our heads, that we know about and we can talk about and we can explain to people, but if it is in our hearts, there will be that personal dimension to this salvation. We will want to tell others what the Lord has done for me. You will want to tell others what the Lord has done for you. And that's what Isaiah wants to do. Yes, he's a preacher. But this is not just a profession to him. This is not just a way of earning money or having a meaningful living. No, this is about who he is by God's grace. Salvation is personal. It is between the exalted and holy Christ and individual men and women, boys and girls. And in this salvation, Isaiah says, and he teaches us, that God comes to us in Christ. And we suddenly realize, I'm a sinner. And God is righteously, righteously and justly angry with me on account of my sin. But then we realize Christ died for sin. And Christ invites and commands us to repent and to believe and to be saved from our sin. And when we do that, when that great transaction between what happened on the cross and my sinful, needy life, when those two things merge, what's the response? I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has been turned away, and you have comforted me. When the cross of Calvary impacts the heart and life of a sinner, they say, my salvation, my strength, my song, I will praise, I will trust, and not be afraid. And my friends, we can be poor at the personal dimension of salvation. We can be poor at that in our reformed tradition and background. And there's something missing in a person's life 
if they can explain to you the greatest doctrines and they can defend the faith and they can, they can tell you and tell people what it is to be a Christian but if you don't hear from them my salvation my song my strength if we don't hear and if we don't see a life of faith and a life of praise to the Lord being lived out, then there's something badly wrong in that person's experience of salvation. They may have a wonderful understanding of salvation, but it's not about understanding. We're not going to be judged on the day of judgment, how much we understood of salvation. It's whether we have embraced this salvation and taken it to ourselves and received it in our hearts and lived by it in our lives. Salvation is personal. Let people know, men and women, and boys and girls and young people, let people know salvation is personal. It's personal to you. It's not some sort of an intellectual idea that you have been taken by and that you like. No, it's an experience that has made you new in Jesus Christ. And boys and girls, you are growing up in homes which are covenant homes. And you have a great, great blessing. You are learning about Christ as you drink your mother's milk. As you drank, from that moment that you drank your mother's milk. Or in your mother's arms. You are prayed for when you were in your mother's womb. And you've been taught from the earliest days of your understanding. But there's a danger with that. There's a danger that salvation is merely intellectual and not personal. That you're not saying, my Lord and my God. And I will trust. And I will praise. And although you were angry with me, your anger has been turned away. Because, boys and girls, the reality is, though you are in God's covenant, and covenant with God through your parents, he is still angry with every covenant child because of their sin. Until that anger has been turned away in Christ. Salvation is personal. But then let's notice secondly, salvation is communal. It is communal. And what do I mean by that word? Well, I mean it is for communities. It's for groups. It's for families. That's what I've been saying, boys and girls. Salvation, as God has worked it in the lives of your father and your mother, is not just for them. He intends and he normally and usually will work in the lives of the children of believers. Because salvation is communal communal or familial. 
It's for local communities. It's for ethnic communities. It's not just for individuals. Yes, salvation is personal, but it is not individualistic. We cannot read the scriptures and conclude that, well, God in salvation, he saves one person here, and then there's a person way out there, and they have no relationship with this person, and he saves them, and then there's somebody else way over there, and there's somebody else down there. Now, when God saves this person away over here, he begins to work in that person's community, their family, their children, their parents. And some of you here this morning are a testimony to that. As Christ has saved you from a non-Christian background and he's begun to work in your whole family. But salvation is communal. And that's why um, I want us to note in verse 4 where the you Uh, And in verse 3, actually, from verse 3 on, the you of verse 3 and verse 4 is plural. It's plural. With joy, you, all of you, plural, will draw water. In that day, you, plural, will say, give thanks. In fact, right through to the end now, every verb is plural. And that's because Isaiah has realised Salvation is not just about me in my little corner, like little Jack Horner. No, salvation is about my family. Salvation is about my neighbours. Salvation is about my friends. Salvation is about going out to those, uh, goes out to those that I work with. It's communal. And so Isaiah is speaking to the community. He's speaking to a body of people from verse three on with joy the community will draw from the wells of salvation and the community will say give thanks to the Lord call on his name I like Mateer whose commentary on Isaiah is absolutely brilliant and very readable if you want to do Isaiah in your quiet time. I cannot speak highly enough uh, of it. It's my daily bread alongside the scriptures. And then Matthew Henry. You can't go wrong with those two. But my, uh, Alec Mateer says, The prophet addresses the community. Community. And you see, as I look at the wider Christian church today, I believe that there is an emphasis here in this passage that is missing out there in much of the wider Christian church how much do we hear of communal salvation of covenant salvation that comes not just to an individual but then spreads out into their family into their community I believe the church has fallen victim to our very individualistic age. I, me, my. And though I was emphasizing that in the first point, it can't be I, me, my to the exclusion of you, your, and yours. 
or they and theirs. And so we are in danger, I believe, at times of losing sight of the communal salvation that is in Jesus Christ. We live in families. I was just struck when I was thinking about this with regard to our town. We live in a town, and we've often mentioned that before. We live in a borough. But then I was struck by this fact, which was a new thought to me. All of us live in electoral wards. You know what I mean by that? You go to vote. There's Bonnie before, and there's Eden, and there's uh, Burley Hill, and there's Carry Castle, and um, Victoria, and so it goes on. There's about 10 or 12 different wards. And if you were to think about it, we are spread over this town. There's hardly two of our families, I haven't done this, but I'm going to do it. There's hardly two of our families that is living in the same ward, the same electoral ward. Do we have a vision for salvation coming to our electoral ward? And a burden to pray for our electoral ward. This is where Christ has placed me specifically in Carrick Fergus. And a burden to reach my electoral ward. We need to learn to think and pray and witness with a communal focus. That the Lord is going to save through our witness in his purpose. If he purposes to save people, it will not just be one here and another way over there and somebody else out there. But we'll see him then, if he does that in those situations, we'll see him working in the family and in others in that community over there and out there and over here. Salvation is communal. With joy, you, plural, will draw from the waters of salvation. Men and women, let us make it our prayer that the salvation that we know individually and personally The salvation that we are seeking to communicate in this town will be communal. Pray for families. Pray for whole communities. We should be thinking about praying not just for an individual or two from Dunluskin and Castlemara and Glenfield, but whole families and groups of families and many families to be saved. So that salvation is seen to be communal in its impact. Because it's that which will change our community. It's that that will change our town. And whatever the social, moral needs, whatever the political diversity, it's this salvation that will turn the Glenfield and the Dunluskin and the Castlemara and the Castle area and the communities together in Christ. But then let's notice thirdly, salvation is personal, salvation is communal. Let's notice it is universal. Notice I didn't say universal salvation. I said salvation is universal. Those are two different things. 
Or if you want to put it another way, salvation is international. Universal salvation, which is not what I'm saying, is a false doctrine which says every person will be saved in the end. But what I am saying is salvation is universal. It's for all the nations of the earth. And that's what Isaiah uh, is seeing here. This salvation, do you see how do you see how the circles are widening all the time? Begins with one man, and then it goes out into his community, and then it goes out again into the nations and the ever widening circles. And that's how we're to view salvation. That's the way God still works today. He comes to you where you are, and then He works in your family. And then he works wider again and wider again. And then he, he, he impacts those that you work with and those that you live among. And there's an aspect in which uh, our salvation should impact the international scene and the universal scene. Look at what uh, we read here in verse 5. Um, Sing to the Lord. No, sorry, it's verse 4. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations. Here's these people. They're living in Judah. And they're being threatened by the nations around about. They're in fear of their lives. There's very, this big powerful Assyria up there. And there's Babylon that's growing across there. And there's Egypt down here. And there's this little believing or let's say um, this little community being renewed in belief here in the middle. And yet they're going to reach these nations, Assyria and Babylon and Egypt, make known this salvation among the nations, what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. It literally is to all the earth. Now there's why I believe we can say salvation is universal. And what did our Saviour say? He said, Go into all the world, go into all the earth. And so even where we are today as believers here in Carnic Fergus we, by the very virtue of our salvation, we are to have some impact upon not just Canic Fergus, not just our own nation, but the nations of the earth. Nations of the earth. And how can that happen? How will it happen? Well, notice that there's three words that we could use to sum up these verses. There is to be praise, and there is to be prayer, and there is to be proclamation. Praise, prayer, and proclamation. And some of those things we certainly can do with great ease. Do we ever take time to praise God, to praise Christ, that he is the saviour of the nations? 
How often do we pray for the nations? Do we have a vision for the proclamation of the gospel to the nations, to the ends of the earth? Salvation is universal. It's international. And my experience of salvation and your experience of salvation it must make us universal Christians. It must make us international Christians. We're not some kind of inward looking, narrow minded people focused only in our, on our own backyard and what's happening there, but looking to the ends of the earth. Praying for the exalted Christ to save people to the ends of the earth. I was really challenged by this. My own life. Am I international enough as a Christian? Are we international enough as a church? Are we international enough in our outlook as reformed Presbyterians. If any church should be international in salvation and in its message and understanding of salvation, it ought to be reformed Presbyterians. We believe that Christ is the mediatorial king of the nations, that he rules over the nations with a view to saving his elect from the nations. Yeah, we understand that with our heads. But what are we doing about it in our lives? How much do we know about the gospel in the nations of the earth? If you get the Evangelical Times, do you flick over the mission pages? Say, well, that's not for me. On church magazine, do we flick over the mission pages? How much do we pray for the earth? How much do we give financially to the gospel going throughout the earth? How much do we care about the nations of the earth? To all the world. In let this be known in all the earth. Let's work men and women. And boys and girls. At being international. In our understanding of salvation. Yes. It begins with me. It's personal. Yes. It's communal. It goes out into my family. It goes out into the community. But this gospel, this gospel, this Christ is international for the nations. And then finally and briefly, and this should go almost without needing to be said, but Isaiah does say it. 
And so we are going to say it. Salvation is joyful. Salvation is joyful. You and I, those with us who profess Christ, we are and we ought to be the most joyful people in the world. And people interacting with us should notice something of that joy in us. They shouldn't go away from Christians spending time with you or spending time with the Christian group and saying, what a dreary, dull, morbid bunch. They should go away saying, what a joyful, hopeful bunch. I want their joy. I want their hope. I want their peace. Look at verse 6. Shout aloud and sing for joy. We've already noticed in verse 3, with joy. It's a different word, but it's the same meaning. So with joy, shout aloud and sing for joy. People of Zion. It's very interesting, and I'm not going to bore you with this this morning, but it's uh, going into a lot of detail. But the shout aloud isn't feminine. It's addressed to the women. Um, the uh, opening I will praise is masculine. In verse 1. And uh, I think it does have a throwback here to Exodus chapter 15, where Miriam led in the triumph song. Uh, it's a throwback to First Samuel 18, where the women came out when David was winning his battles, and the women were rejoicing in the battles that he had won. And so, when it addresses the male in verse 1, and the female in verse uh, 6, this is not about role distinctions. This is not about uh, emphasizing what uh, a woman's role is and what a man's role is. This is about inclusion. This is about totality. It's an idiom of totality. It's like we would say day and night. Um, you know, um, uh, day and night I think about you. Or I have to care for somebody day and night. We mean every minute of the day and every minute of the night. Well, when it talks about, about when the male is used in verse 1 and the female is used in verse 6, it's saying male and female, young and old, rich and poor, regardless of gender or anything else, Every individual of the whole community is caught up in salvation, in its joy, and in its proclamation. People of Zion. And Matthew Henry has a beautiful little comment. People of Zion. The gospel church is Zion. The gospel church. We are Zion. You are Zion. So this salvation makes us joyful. And it makes us joyful even in the midst of life's difficulties. Even in the face of life's setbacks. Even in the face of sorrows and disappointments. 
even in the experience of death. This salvation. Yes, we sorrow at many of these things, but not as those without hope. There's a joy that underlies the Christian so that even in the midst of adversity, Paul is able to say, Rejoice in the Lord. And you and I and us as a church, even as we face and go through the crucible of adversity, our salvation makes us joyful. Because we know, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So do you see now why the phrase is the wells of salvation? It's because this salvation is so rich. It's personal. It satisfies you. It satisfies me. It's communal. It satisfies families and, and groups and, and nations. This salvation is international. And this salvation is joyful. Let us then with joy draw from the wells of salvation. That's what we're to do every day. Draw from the wells of salvation. And as I close, let me ask the question. Is there anyone here this morning who is not yet drawing from the wells of salvation? You cannot yet say, boy, girl, young person, I trust, I praise, I draw with joy from the wells of salvation. If you haven't yet drawn, then go today to Christ, confess your sin, and draw by faith from the wells of salvation. Amen.